This is the Last Weekly Quid Podcast. Welcome to the Last Week Liquid Podcast, the show dedicated to the world of drone bass. My name is Simon and I produce drone bass under the name Mill Street. Uh, quick housekeeping before today's very special episode. Um, if you want to get involved uh, in the podcast, there's a Facebook group that you can join called the Last Week Liquid Podcast Community. Uh, it's a great way to interact with um, with the podcast, ask any questions, make suggestions for future guests future topics. Um, as is the case for this episode, uh, you get the opportunity to ask questions to, to the guest. Um, so feel free to, to get involved uh, in that group. It's called the Last Week Liquid Podcast Community. Uh, on to the episode now. Today I'm sitting down with Elliot, also known as Telomic. Elliot is a drum and bass producer and DJ. And in this episode, we discuss his biggest project to date, his Window Light EP, how he collaborates with vocalists, his classical music uh, upbringing, how he sorts out good ideas from bad ones, why he switched from dubstep to drum and bass, and much more. We also close off the episode with some listener questions, um, which I think was a nice way to involve the community in the episode. So, as always, thanks a lot for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the show. And we're on. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Last Week Liquid podcast. Today, I have the immense pleasure of sitting down with none other than Elliot, also known as Telomic. Elliot has been releasing drum and bass since 2016 with his debut EP Reset on Breach Audio, and since then has released on some major labels such as Celsius, Terra Firma, and Galaxy. Over the past year, his collaboration with Liquidity has deepened, with two stunning EPs released this year alone with the label, First, the Gravity Within EP, and more recently, the Window Light EP, which came out on the 6th of November. Finally, I must mention that Elliot is one of my all-time favorite producers, so it is a huge honor to be speaking with him here today. Elliot, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well, man. How are you? Doing good. Uh, as I was mentioning before, a huge fan of yours, so it's uh, quite special to be like just speaking with you like that. <laughs> <laughs> nah, so thanks, thanks a lot, a lot for man. coming Thank on. Thank you. Um, nah, absolute pleasure. Uh, let's get right into it because there's so much I want to talk to you about from music to mindset to workflow to a lot of other stuff. Uh, so straight into it, Window Light EP has been out for three weeks now, something like that. Um, yeah. How has the reception been so far on it? Pretty nuts, man. Like, um, yeah, I, I don't really know what I expected probably better than i expected like window light i've been sat on now for about a year mm -hmm. so there's also uh, as you probably get like there's an element of you lose any perspective of it like, i don't know if it's good or not anymore mm -hmm. like you've been i've heard it so many times and whatever but then when you put it out and you see that reaction it like reaffirms to you that actually you know it, it's a good tune and like it, people resonate with it um but yeah like the whole ep is as I said, done better than I expected. So mm. it's been awesome. Were you playing any of those tracks in, in like mixes beforehand or were you keeping them like secret, so to speak, for the EP? Um, window Light I was. Um, I, I don't know whether I wanted to keep it secret or not, but I sent it to Will Kino, 
and he started playing it in the the Bristol mix sessions and I started getting messages about it and so from that point I was like it doesn't matter mm. and of course you've always been really chill about um they don't make me like lock anything down or like keep it secret or whatever they like just play it and then people can hear it um so yeah I, I think maybe I started to but it sort of reached a point where I didn't care mm. um and a lot of to be fair a lot of them were written in the last like three four months when obviously I've not been playing shows so that's a sort of different thing but window light definitely was was getting played out a lot yeah, yeah. before that yeah so, so you mentioned that you weren't like you don't know exactly what you were expecting with this release so you've released on liquidity in the past fully peace tracks on galaxy as yeah. well um so i'm wondering uh before the release were you feeling like more pressure or less pressure like compared to previous releases it's a bit of a hard question but uh like does it get easier I... or not <laughs> I would say no. Like, I, th I think there was there was more pressure on this one than Gravity Within because I think all the singles and stuff I sort of see as almost like a separate entity because they all they're on like compilations and things like that. So like the the spotlight and the pressure isn't on you as such as yeah. an artist. It's sort of spread across the board. Yeah. Um, and I see to be honest with the compilation, the pressure falls more and the spotlight falls more on the label than anything else. Um, whereas with the EPs, obviously, as I said, that's a different entity. With Gravity Within, it was four tracks and it came out at the start of lockdown. So everyone's attention was elsewhere. And so including my own. So that I feel like that was different. Whereas with Window Light, it's if you exclude the instrumental like extras, it's six tunes, mm -hmm. which is the most that I've ever put out in one like body of work, I suppose. Um, and also when I started working with Liquidity, this was the like sort of e exclusively working with liquidity. This was the project that they were like, we're working towards this. Mm. So everything I've done over the course of the year, both sort of publicly and behind the scenes has always been building to this point. So yeah, on like the day before release, I was like bricking it, <laughs> uh, you know, and I've been releasing music for like 10 years now. Yeah. Um, four years as Tolomic and, and six years prior to that. So it definitely doesn't get easier, man. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because like from a from an outside perspective, it's like, okay, you're like Tolomic, you've re you've already released on Liquidity, you've played quite big parties, festivals. Uh so it's almost like no big deal from an outside perspective. But from your point of view, of course, it's it's always very different, like your own music. And releasing yourself uh yeah and i i think because i'm still at a point in my career where i've got other things still left to do so like i've still i've not done an album for example mm. like so so building to that at some point i've not even got it on a roadmap yet but at some point i would like to do one and so obviously when it gets to that i'll be really nervous about putting that out as well yeah um And I think because my profile is like liquidity are putting a lot behind me to grow me. So every time I put a new body of work out, there's a whole load of people who won't have heard me before mm. who are then going to hear it. So I, th I think it's that pressure as well. Like, yeah, you're put you're obviously putting music out um, over and over again. And that process in itself is kind of similar. Mm. But there are new things every time that sort of add pressure to that. Um, so... Yeah, I, I can see I can see the point and it is it is right. 
but equally as i said there are other things that, that yeah, pile yeah. on that so yeah you, you said even from from liquidity's perspective they were building towards this this release this year um mm-hmm. how, how does it feel to have like the backing of liquidity for was it at least the past year or two like them really being behind you and i think you've released almost almost exclusively with them over the past yeah. year or two how does it feel to be working like so closely be- with them and having their backing they're great man like i've i've been a fan of liquidity since probably like 2011 or 12 like way before before Tolomic. and then um the the first bit i did with galaxy home and horizon i'd been sat on for probably like almost two years before they came out and i sent them to other labels and other labels had like uh, you'll probably notice anyway sometimes the a and r experience with labels is a bit of a mess mm-hmm. <laughs> you send it to them and it takes them like six weeks to reply to you and then they'll reply and they'll be like oh yeah like yeah we want to do something with this and then you never hear again yeah and i'd had that with i won't obviously name names but i've I had that before um and then we sent it to uh liquidity out of like chance i didn't think they'd ever take it and they got back within like a day and they were like we want these they sent over a couple of edits they wanted and they were like do these send us the pre-master and we'll go Mm. and then they came out and i met them at ade and um they were like we want to continue working with you on a more exclusive basis um and it it kind of built from there but i've always seen them as friends sort of Mm. once as soon as i've met them we've always got on really well so there's that bit of my mind that's like you know, oh my God, it's liquidity. I've been a fan with them for ages. This is great. And there's also this thing that's like really casual working with friends that makes it easier. So on, yeah, there's, there's the two sides to it, I guess. Um, it's always an absolute pleasure. They're really good at what they do. But as I said, it also just feels like I send some tunes to a mate and he's like, yeah, this one's cool. This one's yeah, yeah, not yeah. sure. And that's it. It's really easy. Yeah. It's it, from what you're saying, it sounds like the perfect balance bet- because it's, it's a really well-established label by this point, and also it gives yeah. you access to like uh, events and festivals and that kind of stuff. Uh, but at the same time, it feels pretty relaxed from what you're saying. So it feels yeah. like the ideal partnership almost. Yeah, which which I think I was after anyway. I there's not huge amounts of money to be made in the underground liquid scene, really. Um, there are a few people who are doing quite well, but I think most of us are kind of getting by it's probably the best way that i could put it um so to be with a label where it feels really stressful every time you do anything i can't imagine that yeah and liquidity as you said it's it's like the perfect relationship i suppose um in that i still really enjoy the release process as much as i enjoy writing the music so mm. yeah you i think you mentioned before in the interviews that they're also quite like open to your style and what you want to put out. They're not like, uh, they don't have that many requirements in terms of this is what we want from this upcoming EP. Um, I was wondering how, because you've released already this year, the Gravity Within EP, were they asking, did they have any requirement for this new EP to for it to be sl- at least slightly different? Or was it again really up to you to do your thing? Not really, but I think... With the Gravity Within EP, the first tune I sent them was Gravity Within. And that had this kind of like, the drums are quite liquid and, and sort of rolly, but the 
the core of the tune is it's a dancehall tune. Yeah. And then the the first one I sent them for Window Light EP was Window Light, which is a different tune in itself. So I wonder if I'd sent them the same thing twice, they might have kind of said mm. something. But they've always, as you said, they've always been quite good with with me and my sound. Because to be honest, if if I had started off Tonomic and been like, I'm going to sign to Liquidity, I would never have written the music that I'm writing now. Yeah. Like the stuff that I, there are other guys on the label or who release on the label who have that kind of sound like Edlin and, and BC's obviously done some stuff as well. Mm. Um, so there are other guys who work with the label who have my sound, but the majority of the guys on there are doing the dance floor thing. Yeah. And they've never once, in fact, I sent them a tune earlier this year that I wrote with a friend of mine that was a dancehall tune. And they were like, we can't put this out with your name <laughs> on it. It doesn't make sense. So to be honest, if anything, they've like pushed me away from yeah. that sound rather than, than towards it. But they've never once, I've sent them all sorts of weird stuff and they've never once been like, no, um, which is great. Because I, I also, while I said that I don't like the idea of being stressed out by a label, I also don't like the idea of someone literally dictating to me what I should write because then you lose any expression with what you're doing. Yeah. Like I think part of the joy of, of writing music is that you don't necessarily know what you're going to do when you sit down to do it. Um, and I, as I said, I think having a label dictate that to me would would completely ruin that part of the process. So. Yeah, no, it's great. So it seems like you found like the... It's different for every person. Like it's like finding a partner. It's a, it's a different person for everybody, and it feels like you mm. found the perfect like partnership with Liquidity. So it's a, yeah, and we get to enjoy the the results. So <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> um, but so I was coming back to the gravity within the EP because yeah, I'm a huge fan of that EP and especially the title track. Um, mm. When I heard that title track first, um, I felt like it was the perfect bridge between like the liquid drum and bass that you produce and the dance floor drum and bass that Liquidity would usually put out. Because yeah. as you said, it has the liquid drums and kind of structure, but then it has that lead that comes in on the drop mm. and that feels like the more dance floor kind of, uh, yeah, tunes that would be put out on Liquidity. Mm. So I was wondering if, if that was something you did kind of consciously to like kind of bridge that gap so it would still fit on Liquidity. Or did it kind of just happen and then and then that was that? Well, to be honest, like, <clears throat> so the original sketch for the tune was sent to me by the Beloved in Love guys. Um, and they, they haven't released anything else yet because they're proper perfectionist about everything they do. But they work with dancehall stuff. So they sent me this tune that had th that lead in it. Um, and... I kind of took the stems from that and then reworked it. And in getting the drums, I didn't necessarily think about it. I was just like, the drums need energy. So I threw in probably like a hot hands break or something. And it grew from there. So it wasn't necessarily a conscious thing, but it was, I knew that it needed energy. Mm. And that was my way of doing it because I don't, because I don't really write a lot of dance or stuff. Yeah. My way of, building up drums is by adding breaks and layering it rather than adding like a really heavy snare and like some splashy rides or whatever so yeah it wasn't necessarily deliberate in the sense that it was more just that's how i work and that was what evolved from it i guess 
Yeah. Like it was just what I know. So. Yeah, yeah. Is that usually how you go about writing tracks? Because you've written probably earlier in your uh, Telamic career um, heavier stuff, like deeper stuff, like uh, mm. I guess No Resistance and like more on that EP, um, Time Waster, tracks like that, which would yeah. be on the heavier side. And then more really chill, <laughs> vibey stuff. Um, is there a conscious decision when you sit down to be like, okay, this is going to be a deep track or this is going to be a melodic track or is it whatever happens in the studio? Um, a bit of both. I, so Quite often I find that if I sit down to write a specific thing, it doesn't happen. If, I'm, if I come into the studio and I'm like, I'm going to write a deep rolling tune. I probably won't come out with anything that day. Um, but if I'm messing around with stuff, like Time Waster came out because I got the bass sound from that. And there was an obvious direction with which I could take that. Um, and No Resistance was was a case, I think, of me trying to write something that had less like busy drums. Mm. Uh, I'd written like a lot of kind of rolly stuff before that. I wanted something that was a bit more straight. Um And so it came from that, I suppose. So, I don't know, it, it kind of ends up quite random. Like, I've not written anything dark recently just because clubs aren't open and I've not been <laughs> going out and listening to that kind of stuff. So I've not been absorbing it. And so when I've been messing around in the studio, that kind of stuff hasn't come out. Mm. Um, yeah, it it's, I suppose it's random, but it isn't. Yeah, it's yeah. It's the best way that I could phrase that, like... <laughs> Um, both, it's yeah. never deliberate but i suppose it's a case of like what i'm listening to and absorbing yeah. at, at that point in time yeah 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 it's um i was talking with uh henry on mm. previous episode of the podcast and he said that a lot of his influence uh comes from the shows he goes to and what he's hearing and then it's like oh that bass is like sick i need to do something similar and so he was actually finding it hard to be inspired over the past year because there wasn't any shows to go to um i was wondering from your point of view do you also is that mostly where you use you used to get inspired was going out to shows or where else do you find inspiration yeah i i would say shows pretty much exclusively like um obviously as i said like i've not written anything dark because i've not heard it i don't i listen to like mixed drum and bass at home but it tends to be chill melodic stuff because i listen to it in the background while i'm like sending emails or something right yeah. like um a lot of what Tolomic became, like I used to basically listen to dancehall stuff. That was that was what I was first into with drum and bass guys at Subfocus and stuff like that. Um, and then a friend of mine took me to the Critical Nights at Fabric, and I didn't really know who Critical were, and I kind of knew a few names on the on the roster, but but not many. Um, and that was like all super deep. All of the tunes that I loved were like a super simple bass line, really deep bass line and like clicky drums on it. Mm. And that completely twisted what I was really into with drum and bass. And it completely shifted my perspective of what I listened to and what I enjoyed. Um, which is sort of what Tonomic then came out of was my love for that. Mm. And I suppose that's carried over like, yeah, like, obviously most of the shows that I was going to over the past sort of couple of years have been ones that I've been playing, but I still always make a conscious effort to like listen to everyone else's sets because I still love the genre and I still love yeah. seeing other people play. So yeah, again, like 
I, I guess it must be like mm. um not necessarily consciously like i won't listen to something you won't be, be like, taking notes like... really cool i want it yeah exactly like yeah, not yeah. quite i suppose to the same extent that maybe henry is but mm. um yeah i think i think you can't help but influence what you're doing basically. yeah 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 for sure so coming back to the window light ep you said a lot of those tracks were written over the last few months so i guess during lockdown for for you guys mm. in the uk or at least without shows um How how is it writing those tracks in this like strange period? Do you feel like your tracks maybe are influenced by the period we're living in, or like how how did that that go? Yeah, I suppose in the sense that they're all very musical, like emotional ideas. I guess like more soulful stuff. Um, yeah, as I said, like it's difficult to be inspired by anything that is not inherently really musical because i think that if it's the darker heavier stuff that maybe is less melody driven it doesn't have the same impact when you're listening to it at home as it does when you're in a club and you're in that environment whereas the musical stuff will always at least for me personally will always resonate with me um you know i can latch onto and enjoy a melody while i'm just sat at home doing something whereas if it's got like a huge baseline Like, mm. yeah, okay, I've got the studio set up, but it's not, doesn't carry that weight in the same way. Um, so, yeah, I, th I think, I suppose, yeah, the way I would put it is that the reason the whole thing is, is, music, is musically driven and kind of introspective in the way that it sounds is because of, of everything that's gone on over the last year. Yeah. And did it change anything in terms of your collaborative process, for example? Um Because I know you tend you you collaborate quite a lot with vocalists. Um, mm. A lot of your very early on, you've done a lot of tracks that are with vocals on them. Um, did it change anything on on this EP being like stuck at home, not being able to meet people, or is it always on the internet anyway? <laughs> to be honest, it's mostly always on the internet. The one thing that has changed, I suppose, is that like with the vocalist like i've never met any of the vocalists on that ep okay <laughs> whereas normally i would bump into them at shows and stuff and you'd be like oh hi you know we worked on something together yeah um but like anastasia is based in canada um but sydney and emily are both based in the uk and i haven't ever met any, either of them um so it's weird on that side i suppose yeah but it's not the actual writing process is still the same like i still write an instrumental and then send it off and then get a vocal and then bring that back. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. 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 So yeah, that's something I was curious about because again, you've collaborated a lot with vocalists. What makes a, what makes a good collaboration with a vocalist? Uh, I'm thinking for example, uh, Nutel, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but you, you've done yep. quite a few, quite a few tracks with her and some of my favorite, uh, with her. And, mm. um, so you, it, it it seems like you you keep coming back to to her for example uh for collaborations uh what makes a good collaboration with a with a vocalist and how do you usually go about that process i think a lot of it is like you have to get on as people like i've had some where it just doesn't work for whatever reason because you send something off and they'll either write something you're not sure on and you'll send some notes and they won't necessarily react well to that which is fair because i get that you obviously put yourself into that but i think you obviously have to be open to to feedback 
And part of it's also that knowing that they're as into it as you are. Like, if you send them something and they don't send anything back for like six months, <laughs> you know, you, yeah. you, are, you kind of realize that they're not that interested in doing it and they're just doing it because they want the royalties or whatever it is. Um, so with people like with like Nottel um, and Laura as well, Laura Brem, like we've worked a lot because we've built up that relationship. Like I get on really well with both of them. So it's quite casual in the sense that I can literally just message them and send them an idea and they'll send something back. And it's quite a fluid process. But also I know that if I do any edits or changes or whatever to what they've sent me, they're not going to be super protective about that. Mm -hmm. They obviously want to make sure that they sound good. Like if I process them and they sound terrible, then they'll speak up, which I also think is important. I think they should be able to turn back to you and be like, this needs tweaking. Um, Emily was really good at that. Um, We had a few different vocal mixes for day four. um, And she was like super vocal about how she wanted it, which is brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I suppose, I suppose, as I said, you've got to get on with them and there has to be that, that back and forth and they have to be willing to do that that back and forth. Um, otherwise, as I said, to be honest, it kind of just feels like they're completely disinterested um, yeah. and then you begin to lose any excitement that you had in what you're doing. Yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. I think there's also a, like an added value of collaborating repetitively with the same vocalist mm. because then it creates like... I don't know, like a sense of familiarity with the track. Like yeah. if you were to put out a, a new track now with Notel, for example, you've done, I don't know, two or three tracks with her at least uh, up until now. Yeah, two two or three is Tolomic, and then we've done some previous. Yeah, yeah. Well, so. so if you were to put out a new liquid track with her, uh, it would instant, like it would feel right from the get-go yeah. because you've heard it before. So I think that's also a good, uh, like a good point of like coming back to vocalists that, where it works well together uh, in a sense yeah and i think with that familiarity as well they understand from a like if i'm writing for someone i've written for before i know how they work as well so i can write to their strengths and they can then send something back that makes sense with my sound Mm, yeah so it makes it easier from from that point of view as well i think yeah for sure do you do you usually send sketches that are like almost finished like entire tracks or Will it sometimes be just a few chords and they send an ID without even vocals? How does it usually look like? Usually I'll sketch out an idea, but sometimes that idea is very, very different to how the final product comes out. Um, Again, like with Dayfall, the first sketch that I sent Emily was like super laid back, um, kind of like subtle, vibey tune, like really stripped drums, quite slow paced. And then she sent the vocal back. And then by the final version, it had a lot more like energy to it um, just because the iterations that they went through. But I always send them something that at least at the time sounds like where I think the tune is going. Yeah. And it's got like a full arrangement. It might be a bit copy and paste, but it's the drums are there. And, and so because I feel like if you're just sending some chords, they might not get where the tune has more energy and, and where it has its lulls and, and things like that to write to mm-hmm. um so yeah do you ever get vocals first and then write tracks around it or have you ever tried it and it doesn't work <laughs> occasionally horizon the vocal for horizon not tell sent me first um 
I have a feeling there's some others as well, but I can't think. But yeah, it, it has happened. But usually I'll write the instrumental first. Okay. It's easier if I get sent a vocal because then it's basically like doing a remix. Okay. Um, But yeah, to be honest, 90% of the time it doesn't work like that. Because I feel bad if I just turn around to a vocalist and I'm like, send me a vocal. Yeah, You're yeah, then yeah. putting them on a spot to essentially <laughs> write you a song. And I, I feel like... It, yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. I should start it and then and then go from there. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. It's funny you say that it's it's easier to work with a vocal. I would have imagined imagined it's easier to just write a track and then send it and then mm. they put something on top of it and you just have to mix it to some extent. Whereas if you receive I, yeah. I think if you've got the vocal, you've got certain things sort of dictated. So like you know where um you've kind of got a harmony, like chords and stuff roughly laid out so if they've given obviously it's going to be written in a key and you can add different chords to that but where those chord changes are and lie and everything it's mm. kind of dictated by the the melody of the vocal yeah um and structurally as well whilst to be honest i tend to like cut vocals up and move them around even if they've written to an instrumental i'll still to be honest half the time like move it around but um yeah i, I feel like obviously structurally as well like you know where the chorus vocal is and you know where the verse vocal and intros and ad-libs and whatever you know where they lie then yeah um and it also i think gives you like an inspiration like if you sit down and hear a vocal i can hear ideas that go with that whereas if you're starting with a completely blank slate and nothing there sometimes that's quite difficult yeah for sure you're probably aware like staring at a blank project <laughs> yeah i'm thinking like where's this gonna go um can sometimes be quite difficult so yeah Yeah, it's almost uh, like, uh, what is it, limitation breeds creativity or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I guess when you get a vocal, you're limited in terms of, well, the key, the chords, the structure, all that kind of stuff. Whereas mm. when you're starting a brand new project, it's like, I can do literally whatever I want. And that can, yeah. it's a bit daunting sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes that like freedom is great because you have happy accidents and you like mess around with stuff. But sometimes, yeah, you spend like three, four hours trying to mess around with something and you get nothing. Um, mm. And that's because you've you've had no like stimulus to start with and you've kind of just endlessly messed around and not had any real direction. Yeah. Whereas if you've got that vocal, that kind of grounds what you're doing, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, for But sure. as I said, it doesn't happen that often anyway. So mm. I want to bring it way back Uh pre-Talamic, pre-even Elliot Berger, that's your yep. like other alias, which I'm, I'm not sure that many people are familiar with, but are, there's still quite a few tracks on, on Spotify under that, that alias. Yeah. Um, but even before that, I want to just dig a bit in, into your musical like education. Uh, I know you played violin, guitar as well. Yeah, you've done your uh, research. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a few interviews online, so that always helps mm. uh, doing the prep. But uh, yeah, I'm curious how that kind of upbringing was for you were you a very musical household uh, what did it look like um sort of so my mum grew up playing piano and my dad grew up playing guitar but they were both quite not entirely self-taught but mostly self-taught and they didn't play huge amounts like I don't think I've ever seen my mum play piano ever I know she can but I've never seen her do it um but they always had that so when I went to school and we had someone come around I would have been like five or six and this woman came around and played violin to us and she was obviously like amazing at it she was like you can be this good and as a disclosure <laughs> I was never I'm still not as good as, as she was but 
as a kid, you're like, oh my God, that's amazing. And so when I went home and told my parents that that was what I wanted to do, they were quite supportive of that and really pushed me to do it. I think because whilst they didn't play a lot of music around the house and stuff, they had that in them and mm. that like creative side. So they wanted to push that in me. Mm. Um, so yeah, like I suppose whilst I didn't directly, you know, we weren't like jamming all the time or whatever, there was still that like musicality in my family. Yeah. Was there a lot of like music just playing around like in the living room, a lot of different, I know in my household, there was a lot of like from Cure to Buena Vista Social Club to classical music. Like there was a lot of different music around. Yeah. My uh, parents were always certainly into like listening to a lot of music. And I, I grew up a lot with that. Um, particularly when I got to, when I was sort of 13, 14, I picked up the guitar and started teaching myself the guitar and my dad then basically gave me a load of like old metal albums and stuff <laughs> um like metallica and iron maiden and okay guys like that and slayer and oh, wow. so i grew up listening to that kind of stuff as a teenager because there were all those records around the house that my dad had and gave me mm. um and then sort of probably like 2006 2007 um i sort of we'd always had guys like fatboy slim and the prodigy on at home anyway but then they started playing guys like dead mouse and sub focus and stuff like that and that is when i suppose like i kind of slightly came out of the metal side and and went in and sort of became attracted to to the drum and bass stuff um and sort of electronic music in general because mm. the early sub focus stuff was quite heavy and so from coming from a metal background to, to that yeah it makes um, sense wasn't that weird a transition and there were pendulum as well and obviously pendulum were basically like <laughs> the official uh, bridge rock uh, metal band <laughs> yeah exactly the official like bridge between bridge. metal and yeah <laughs> yeah and they were obviously like in their prime at that kind of time so yeah there was always a lot of music on and I, the more i think about it i suppose the more that that must have had like a quite a big impact on on mm. the sound that i sort of came out with yeah so yeah, well, definitely, I think in terms of like there's piano in almost all of your tracks, even if it's yeah. very in the background and it's they all sound very, very musical. And maybe because you bring also a lot of vocalists, they all they feel yeah. more like songs than tracks, like even though it's yeah. th those terms kind of mean I the same th I thing. I think but. a lot of that is probably like I was because I played violin, I was classically trained. And so even when I was doing like heaviest or trying to write heavier stuff, it always came back to that like musical side. Like I, I always th think about it, you know, like working with chords and, and melodies and stuff. I always think of that, that in like a quite a technical way. Mm. Even if I try not to, I kind of can't get out of it. Um, So to be honest, I would say probably more the reason that that there's all that sort of musical element to what i do is probably based off that like i've it's kind of been ingrained into me and i can't because i i don't play piano i can't play piano um but i know the theory behind it so i can yeah. program a piano yeah yeah, um, yeah yeah it's a weird one yeah and you can definitely make it sound natural because er almost every piano like some of them are probably sampled but if it's if it's midi it still sounds like somebody's yeah, actually to playing. be fair i i think they're probably all midi uh, <laughs> oh that's crazy i don't i don't tend to sample very much so Okay. Yeah, it's that's good that you didn't notice. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> but it's uh 
Yeah, it sounds like somebody playing, so you definitely have like mm. knowledge of which chords should come after which ones and how do you resolve yeah. a, a chords, etc. Um, but so coming back to, to playing, so you picked up guitar when you were a teenager, uh, mm. started playing in bands. Um, yeah. What made, because I imagine you're not playing in bands anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what made you stop playing in a band uh, and not like pursue that rock metal direction? I think part of it was like my taste changed. Um, I kind of grew out of, of listening to a lot of metal stuff and I, I listen to it occasionally now, but more from a nostalgia point of view than a like sort of new listening perspective, I guess. Um, but also part of it was that I don't necessarily like relying on other people, which I realize sounds stupid because I collaborate with vocalists and stuff a lot. But I think particularly as a teenager, if you're trying to get four or five teenagers in a room to practice together it won't happen someone mm. will be ill or can't be bothered or is late or whatever and as soon as i realized that i could sit down with like reason at the time and open reason up and write something entirely on my own and then put it out and like people could hear it and no one else had touched it mm. um was cool and you know i could like write something like two in the morning uh and that was it you know and, and it was all me and and there was nothing else mm. um because to be honest like and i don't know if maybe i just wasn't that good but if i ever wrote a, a guitar riff or something and went to a practice and played it probably 80 percent of the time we wouldn't do anything with it like someone would be like oh, i don't like it or, or whatever yeah. whereas now well i say now obviously i've got the label now but back when i started producing no one could tell me that they didn't like what i was doing mm. like i still did it and It was still my process. Yeah, I think that's important to like bring back the love of what you're doing. In order to love what you're doing, you have to like be passionate about it. And it's really difficult to be passionate when you play an idea to someone else in a room and you need them to work on it with you. And they're like, nah, it's rubbish. And, yeah. and you lose any drive for it then. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, I've had a, all that, I guess. For sure. I've had a bit of a similar experience. Like I was into like rock rock bands and mm. playing guitar in, in bands before I ever started producing or even listening to, to drum and bass. And I found it very hard to find three, four, five people that had the same direction, yeah. Not let alone like the drive and the motivation, but even the musical direction of we're all going to produce, like we're all going to, like the guitarist uh, was really into Metallica. I was more yeah. into uh, like heavier more modern metal and then somebody else was more into hard rock and so yep. even getting people to go into the same direction is hard enough <laughs> uh, yeah and I, I think sometimes that could be a good thing like i think combining different styles but at the same time if you've not got like one sort of cohesive thread between all of you all of you it just becomes a mess yeah yeah for sure is there is there anything that you kind of i don't know how long you played in bands but anything that you miss from that time playing in bands because i know i miss quite a lot the uh, that collaborative aspect of like just jamming there's no jamming mm. when you're producing drum and bass for example <laughs> it's yeah. just you and your yeah. computer so is there anything that you miss of that that time um i i think jamming's sort of one element of that i miss i miss the fact that like things can go a little bit wrong and that's fine and that's okay whereas if you're djing the only thing that can go wrong is that either a mix isn't in key or you know not in time mm. 
and the two of those completely kill a mood. Whereas if you're soloing and you like, you know, hit a wrong note, one, it only lasts a fraction of a second. And two, like you can kind of make it, you can fix that and you can go with that. And the fact that that can happen all the time um, and it doesn't have to be perfect. I miss, I miss that because mm. to be honest, like with the DJ set, people expect it to be perfect every time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, they don't want to hear any mix that, that doesn't blend like perfectly. Yeah. Um, and, I, and so I miss the, I suppose, <laughs> lower expectations is a bad way to phrase it. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely. I miss, yeah. I miss the fact that you can make mistakes and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be like the tempo can kind of move around as you're playing the song. Yeah. And if you're missing a note, well, there's usually another guitar that's kind of covering up the noise yeah. in, a, in a sense. Uh, so no, I definitely get it. Uh, yeah, I know from my point of view, starting producing electronic music, I was starting to miss that aspect of just going in a room and just messing mm. around uh, with other people and then reacting to what other people were creating and reacting yeah. to that and writing something. Whereas, yeah, production remains quite a solitary. I don't know if you feel the same way, but it's quite a solitary endeavor most of the yeah. time. Yeah, definitely. Especially at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, even more at the moment. But uh, yeah, I guess that's where it's important to reach out to other people to collaborate or vocalists or other producers uh, to at least get a yeah a sense of you're working with other people and not a hundred percent alone. I think that's quite important. Yeah, yeah, and I I think also like having other people that you're working with gives a better perspective on what you're doing. Mm. like I, I think you know having honest opinions on a track as it forms is is important um yeah uh, and getting a, a different set of ears on it whether they're directly working on the tune or whether you're just sending it to someone mm. um there's so much that can be gained from from another perspective on on what you're doing yeah 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 i know you, you said in the past that you sometimes like struggle to get out of your own head and i guess mm. that's what you that's what you mean with like being critical of your own music is like yeah yeah well this is the other thing like i said with window like like that i like before it came out i kind of didn't know if it was any good anymore mm. and i i think that's a lot of it as well like you can write an idea and think it sounds great and then come back to it a week later and you're like it sounds rubbish but you don't know with your initial reaction or your secondary reaction is kind of like the right one, I suppose. Like whether you're overthinking it and second guessing it or whether actually you were just too excited and it wasn't a good idea to start with. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really difficult to know which one of those is, is true, I suppose. Yeah. How, how, do you, how do you draw the line then? Is it mostly through other people or leaving tracks aside for a few months and then coming back for them? How do you usually, usually sort out good ideas Probably for bad both. ones? Um, the advantage of having liquidity now is that I can send them stuff and, and kind of gauge their opinion on it. Um, I would say that, that, to be honest, they're more critical on vocals than they are on the instrumental side of stuff. Um, but that, again, isn't necessarily a bad thing. Mm. Like sometimes I find it difficult with a vocal, whether I'm just excited that there's a vocal there and that the track sounds more interesting now or whether the vocal is any good or, or whatever sometimes I, that can be quite difficult to gauge um but equally if i'm really excited about an idea and someone else is like i'm not sure about this 
I'll still run with it and I'll still mm. see where it can go. Um, again, like window light, the first person I sent window light to said that it was rubbish, basically. Like the instrumental, they were like, no, like do try something else. This, that's not working. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't do that. But um, yeah, and that, uh, but I was like, no, like I think this is good. And I still went with it anyway. Um, but equally, there have been times where like I've written something and I've been really excited about it. And you send it to the label and they're like, the melody's just a bit boring. And you're like, oh, okay. And then you kind of get that secondary and then you can hear it and then you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's a bit all over the place, to be honest. Like, Yeah. I, I guess it's yeah. something you also build with the years. Like when yeah. you get more confident with, with your own music as well. Uh, I don't know if you feel that with your own music, but... Uh... Yeah, like in the sense that from a technical point of view, I think the mix downs are, are better now. Um, I don't necessarily, I think I've become more critical of like the, that initial vibe. Like if I write four chords and I don't think they sound great. Whereas before I probably would have pushed with the idea and then edited those chords as I went on. Yeah. So they sounded good. Okay. Now I'm like, no, and I'll scrap it and I'll start again with something else. And I don't, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I think it probably isn't to be honest. Um, but I don't. As an overall confidence thing, I don't know if I've got more confident or not, to be honest. <laughs> Potentially less, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I was just saying that with uh, with regards to when you said uh, if someone said your track wasn't oh, that yeah. good and then you would still push through, maybe you wouldn't do that at the start of... Yeah, the... yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I think, especially like having seen the reaction to Window Light and knowing that the first person that heard that said that they didn't like it, um having situations like that i think reinforces the fact that if i'm really certain on an idea then i will push it anyway mm -hmm. um and in fact no resistance when i sent that to liquidity they said no and i said hold out for the oh, vocal. really when the vocal comes in you're going to change your mind oh. <laughs> and and they did like literally i put vision Obi's vocal on it and sent it off and then they were like yeah no you were right um so yeah i suppose it probably has like more confident than maybe i was like several years ago but there's i i don't know whether it's just a producer thing or what but there's still always going to be that like overshadowing like yeah. self-doubt with everything you do you're always yeah, like yeah. oh but so and so is better than me or whatever <laughs> that always like shadows yeah. so if someone else isn't sure on an idea you best be 100 percent certain because otherwise it's probably going to go in the Bit, yeah. To be honest, like. yeah 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 it's something uh i i thought it was really interesting that you you mentioned in the previous interview that as you collaborate more with liquidity you're gonna mm. you're getting compared more and more with more established artists uh you're being compared with those guys and then it becomes hard for you because you're being compared to <laughs> better guys and then it's yeah yeah it, it's when you're put on the same kind of I suppose because liquidity, if I'm put on the platform of liquidity, I'm put on the same platform as those guys. And so I think there's always going to be that comparison because people compare liquidity artists, mm. um, you know, as they would with like any other label. Um, but yeah, as, as I probably said previously, like it's difficult then when you compare what you're doing to someone else who you see as way better than you. Mm. But you've, you see other people making those comparisons and so you start making those comparisons. 
yeah. So you I don't you, f- know. you feel like you you you're getting better at it, or you're still struggling with that? Uh, I still struggle all the time with like um, comparing to other people. Like mm. it's, it's, I think I think it's always going to be like I my advice to new producers is always like don't compare yourself. Like, um, but you don't do that. <laughs> but I don't do it. <laughs> um, and I think it's really difficult. I think, as I said, like if you're always being put on the pedestal with those people, you're always going to compare your releases to their releases. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you'll always, but it's, in fact, I'd completely forgotten about this. Um, but one of the guys that I've been comparing, had been comparing myself to, have been, still are probably, is uh, ALB mm-hmm. on Ram Records. Yeah. And he messaged me when the window light EP came out and was like, how are you getting your drums to sound like that? Like, why do your drums, why don't my drums sound like that? And I was like, you have no idea how many times I've listened to your tunes and asked myself the same question. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of reaffirmed, I suppose, that all this time that, that that I'm comparing myself to other people, there's a good chance that they're also doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was just funny that literally like one of the, guys that i'd been listening to while i was writing this whole ep then came back to me when the ep was out and like why do your mix down sound better than mine that's amazing it's (laughs) yeah it's it's stupid but it reaffirms how stupid that is yeah yeah, yeah. i I don't i can't stop doing it but it kind of cements how silly it is yeah 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 One one thing i've tried to like even when i was learning guitar at the start and watching tutorials or those YouTube videos of like six-year-olds like ripping through a track and you're like (laughs) struggling. (laughs) Uh, And what I've kind of made my peace with, and it can be anything, but there's always going to be people like uh, under you, not not under you, but at a like lower level and Mm. people that are better than you at any stage of where you are in your process. Even if I'm sure like the, I don't know, the lead guitarist of Metallica also looks up to other guitarists, for example, yeah. Uh, whereas everybody would be looking up to him. And so it's always, you're always somewhere on that spectrum. And so in yep. the end, only comparing yourself to people that are above you, in a sense, does it make sense if you're not also looking at all the, I don't know, the what you've already accomplished in that sense and where you're coming from. Yeah, and I think it's good as well to to have people to look up to. I don't know if the, the comparison and, and the constant sort of put necessarily like putting yourself down because you're not as good as X is healthy. But having someone above you means that you're going to push yourself to be as good or better than they are. Mm. And I think it's really important to not ever be like complacent with where you're at and the music you're making, but mm. to always be pushing to get it better. Um, And as you said, like there's always going to be people better than you like, always. Mm. And, and, but I think that's a, a really good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, even when there are like artists on like a really, you know, that are really, really good at what they do, there's always going to be someone else who does something better than they do. It yeah. may, they may be the best songwriter ever, but someone else's mix downs are better than theirs or something. So they're always going to have that something to push to. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think that's important because it keeps you going forwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. What are some, some art, like now you said ALB. Like he's a fan of yours, so you don't have to compare yourself mm-hmm. to him anymore. <laughs> but uh, who would be like other producers that you still look up to in terms of uh, mix downs or drums or something? Where you're like, oh, this is I still need to achieve this. Um, 
there are there are the obvious ones. There are guys like Halogenics and Alex Perez and and guys like that that you know I I think a lot of people look up to for for their productions and and how that sounds. And then you know I I think even with with A or B like there are other guys sort of on on the same sort of um sort of in the same pool as myself I guess um like Monroe and and people mm-hmm. like that as well that. I still massively look up to, you know, Eli and I have done loads of back-to-back sets and, and written music together, but I, I will always still look up to what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, as I said, there are the big ones, you know, Perez, Halogenics, um, Workforce, I suppose is another one. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I still don't think that necessarily discredits guys like ALB and, and Monroe is no, for as sure. being in that, um, bubble of, of people that i look up to even if they're not yeah leaps, way 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. superstar massive artists yeah so. yeah for sure what is it about um i have my own idea about this but uh you talked about alex perez quite a quite a lot in mm-hmm. the past what is it about his like productions that you find so inspiring appealing um i'm i i, I think a lot of it is just he has such a variation, but everything that he does is so cohesive. That sounds silly, but like you can tell it's a Perez tune when it's whether he's done the darker, heavier stuff or whether he's doing the more soulful stuff. There's like a thread that ties it all together and all of it is so well done and so well polished. Um, You know, and, and with some of the soulful stuff, like it's all everything has its place there's it doesn't sound really busy or whatever everything just slots together perfectly and it has a purpose yeah yeah exactly because i i think there's always that temptation to start layering things or throwing things in to, to fill it out rather than just really solidifying what you've got and i think perez is really good at uh doing that like everything as you said has a purpose has a place and works really well yeah and there's no need for any sort of flash or whatever with his yeah. tunes yeah um whereas as i said like i think if an idea is not working there was always going to be that temptation to add an arp or add something mm. else like to layer it up to make it more interesting yeah and i kind of feel like he doesn't do that yeah yeah well for what what it's worth i definitely feel your tracks are very minimal as well but they work so Thank you've you. definitely found that balance between, <laughs> as you said, adding more elements to make it interesting, but keeping it, keeping it uh, like stripped back at the same time. So, yeah. so yeah, yeah. It, it, it's difficult. Um, and certainly some of the tunes that don't necessarily make it have been subject to that, have been like subject to the fact that I've just added loads of rubbish into the tune to try and like yeah. make it more interesting rather than sorting out the core idea. Yeah. But yeah thank you <laughs> no worries um so yeah just before so we we're talking about your like upbringing and, and musical background um so i was mentioning that you actually have another alias that you started with um which is your your own name and producing more i guess edm slash uh what dubstep maybe not dubstep but uh like more laid back chill uh, electronic music um so i'm curious because if you look at Spotify, some of those tracks are like the plays on those tracks are quite huge. There's a few tracks mm-hmm. like above a million uh, streams. Yeah. 
Um, and so I was quite curious why you, yeah, kind of left that uh, that whole genre and and switched to to drum and bass. Um, it's difficult. When I started that, I was quite young, so I the Elliot Burger stuff actually came out of an older alias that was called System, which I started when I was 17. And then System was a name that was already taken because of course it was, it was an obvious name. <laughs> um, and so I had to change, but the whole of that sound, I suppose, started when I was younger. Didn't ha- I, that happen, sorry, didn't ha- that happen with Telomic as well? You had another name previously. I was called Half Light, yeah. And that was so already taken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't learn clearly. Um, <laughs> although Half Light wasn't taken, and then someone else took it after I started. Oh wow! Okay. So you should have kept it. Well, I mean, Tulane is great too, but <laughs> but um, yeah. So I started writing. The first stuff I wrote was drum and bass, and then I did like a dubstep bootleg of a Coldplay tune, and Coldplay took it and posted it on their socials, and then. I got a lot of new fans who were all into dubstep. Like that was what they were after. And so being young, I was like, I'm just going to write what people want. Because yeah. it, when you put, especially back then, this was like 2011, there was like that boom that happened with dubstep. And so yeah. every time you put anything out, it would get loads of plays and loads of attention and whatever. And drum and bass didn't get that. So mm-hmm. while while I always loved drum and bass, I built up this audience. Um. And as I kind of transitioned out of dubstep into other sort of electronic styles, it was always an American audience. Yeah. Um, And drum and bass just isn't as big there. Um, So it was still sort of fueled by this fact that if I did drum and bass, no one liked it. Um, And it finally reached this point, I suppose, where that had become my job and I didn't have a choice. And so I started doing drum and bass as like an alternative outlet for that. Because and that was where Half Light, uh, which was eventually Telomic, kind of came from, was just like I wanted to have fun making music again, yeah, rather than doing it to get plays and to make money. Um, and then yeah, eventually it, it kind of took over and I stopped writing music because I felt like I had to and started writing Telomic because I wanted to. Um, so. It was a long process. Like there was probably like two or three years of both of them happening at the same time before I dropped the other stuff. Mm. Um, but as I said, it was kind of always bubbling under the surface anyway. Like I always wanted to do it. I just never did it. Mm. Um, but I, w- I would say to anyone, I suppose, the one like key thing I would say is that don't ever get into writing music to make money out of writing music because <laughs> it sucks. Yeah. If you don't really love what you're doing, it sucks, yeah. man. Like, there's no heart or soul in it at all. You just, it becomes like a corporate job. Yeah, you're like so. a machine, like just yeah, putting exactly. out tunes. It, yeah. it sucks. You, it's something I've heard before that, uh, like, drum and bass in, in the US hasn't really, has never really clicked that much. Mm. Uh, uh, there are obviously some American producers that, that have some success in, in drum and bass or that mm. are very successful, but as a whole genre, it never really took off. Uh, just curious if you have any ideas like why that is or uh, yeah it's always a mystery to I, me I don't know I, I, I think yeah I, I have no idea Um, you know like UK Garage like I, I love Garage I think it's a great genre but again that never took off 
to be honest, that much outside of the UK, as far as I'm aware, and certainly mm. not in America. Um, but then, you know, you look at America and like country music never took off here, really. Yeah, true. But it's yeah. massive out there. So I don't know. I, I guess there's probably cultural reasons for it, but th- I don't know if there's any real reason. Like in the UK, certainly like drum bass is everywhere. Like, yeah. Um, you know, it's on TV, it's in adverts. It's like you walk down the street and you hear it. Like, whereas, so you always grow up with it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If they don't, I suppose if, if there's not that, then it's harder for that genre to like, I suppose, have any foothold in in that country but yeah i don't know yeah maybe it will maybe in the next like 10 years <laughs> it's certainly like growing but i don't i wouldn't say it's necessarily ever going to be as big as it is certainly in yeah the UK, like okay that's a uh, yeah i have no idea either why it's if it's linked to i don't know more i don't know in the us it needs to be more four four kind of less breakbeat type yeah. Uh, or maybe it's just cultural because it comes from the UK and it has the whole jungle origins. And so yeah. there's a whole like reason why it's so popular in the UK and the US is too remote for, for that. Maybe that's the reason. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But it's a good uh, transition into uh, questions I have from, from a few people. So I actually yeah. uh, have a... Uh, Facebook group which I just started uh, for people listening to this podcast called Last Week Liquid Podcast Community you can find it on on Facebook and so I just asked yesterday uh, people uh, if they had any questions for you Um, got quite a few actually so I'll try to work through a few of them Um, but I'm just bringing it up because the first question was from uh, Daniel Patterson uh, aka Crash Comet and he was asking how do you see the future of Liquid where do you see the genre going in the next uh, the next few years i don't I, I don't know it's difficult like i think the min- minimal stuff has certainly come more forefront mm-hmm. like if i if i think back to when i first got into the genre it was a lot of it was fueled by that like early net sky sound yeah um where the drums were really busy and you had a lot of like um you know like big square wave bass lines and like little pianos and stuff and like that kind of 2010 yeah um and, which, and which i love <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a great sound but like that was sort of what i got into then and now i hear a lot of the much deeper more stripped back stuff mm. um so i don't know whether it will continue getting deeper or whether it will kind of rope like go full circle again mm. uh, and we'll hear more of the kind of busier liquid come back uh, but I don't know. But I think part of not knowing is what makes it interesting and exciting. Like not knowing where it's going to go and, and what's going to happen uh, is what kind of keeps it engaging, I guess. For sure. Uh, ben Ben Rowland, aka Ben Rolo, he just put out a remix of uh, In Most. On, it was featured on Liquidity, actually. Yeah. So would urge everybody to check that one out. It's really an awesome tune. Um, yeah. He asked you, I think we slightly touched on it, but uh, uh, that you were making future garage before Telamic with a lot of success uh what made you switch to drum and bass um so what made you switch to drum and bass specifically i guess was what he's interested in as i said i think i I think i always liked it it was always something a genre that i loved and one of the reasons i loved it i think is that you could have like more melodic elements uh it could be a chill tune but still have dance floor energy to it 
Mm. Um, like some of my stuff is really chill, but I can still play it in a DJ set and it's still, you know, people still dance to that. Whereas mm. with Future Garage and, and other sort of more chill genres, that doesn't work. Mm. Like you play that and, and people kind of like chin stroke and nod, but they don't dance to it. <laughs> chin stroke, um, yeah. That's good. <laughs> and I, I think, as I said, I always loved drum and bass and I, I've wanted to get back into DJing for a long time. I DJed a bit sort of uh, early 2010s and then it kind of died out and mm. I wanted to get back into that as well. So it was kind of a combination of all of those things, I guess. Yeah. Uh, ben Downton, aka Lore, I think you know oh, yeah. him. Uh, yeah has an interesting question. Would you rather have a wrist that creates infinite mayonnaise or to be able to touch the future through a finger-sized hole? <laughs> Gotta be able to touch the future, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I feel like a wrist that gives you infinite mayonnaise is going to save you probably like a few quid a year for mayonnaise <laughs> and isn't going to give you any other practical use. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like a very extreme... Uh... Yeah, there's, there's quite a... Weird combination of things, bless him. Uh, Sam, Akir, Elixir, uh, would you rather be invisible for a day or be able to fly for a day? Um, so this is difficult, right? So if someone catches you flying... There's going to be a lot of questions. There's going to be a lot of questions. Like I feel like you'll just get arrested. And people will like test you forever. Whereas going invisible, no one will see you be invisible mm. by the very characteristic of being invisible. Um, but, so while I would normally say flying, I feel like it would come with more complications. So I have to go with being invisible. You, you've thought, thought about this before, it seems. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Andre, aka Human Nature, he was asking, uh, what types of music are you... By the way, shout out, he just put out a, an EP on Liquidity as well. Yeah, great. Uh, since I've known you. Uh, amazing piece of music. He asks, what type of music are you listening to these days outside of drum and bass? And what would be some of your favorite artists? Um, I've been listening to a lot of Koan sound recently. Um, they put out an EP, the Silk Wave EP, and that's got some great tunes on it. And I, I, I've been listening to Koan sound for a long time. Um from a like technical point of view, their productions are, are amazing. Um and burial. I always listen to a lot of burial. Mm-hmm. Um and like chilled hip hop stuff as well. Um Yeah, and guys like Tom Mish. <clears throat> I think generally just whatever I'm listening to is always super chill. Mm. Um and I suppose that's probably why my music sounds like that. because uh, to be honest, like I don't I probably only like half of what i listen to is drum and bass mm. and the rest of it is just like general chill out vibey stuff yeah no more no more metal no no not as i said not, unless it's like nostalgia yeah no, not metal. <laughs> um this actually fits into what we were talking earlier shecky asks uh i like how your vocal sounds and complement mm. each other with the rest of the song any tips on processing vocals and composing them making them fit into your instrumental um in terms of making it fit i would say don't necessarily stick with how it's been sent like if they sent you you know a whole structure as one long file cut it into sections and rearrange it um i've had tunes before where like you take the chorus and you make the chorus a verse and the verse a chorus and it works so much better so little things like that can really help um 
in terms of processing like keep it simple like and i would say that for anything not just for vocal but for everything like if you're having to do like a and it's outside of like bass sound design or whatever if you're doing something and it's got like a 20 effect long chain the chances are that there's something wrong with the source mm. sound rather than anything else um like a little bit of eq some compression and a bit of reverb and then anything from that point on is always going to be like little touch-ups but it should sound good at that point yeah um besides like tuning and timing and stuff which is its own own like beast yeah so yeah keep it simple Mm. um i have i have in mind what you're going to answer to this one but uh thomas uh, finley aka finna drift asks what's your favorite what was your favorite goal that you achieved this year and could you explain some of the struggles uh in that process getting to that goal finishing a six track ep (laughs) (laughs) that was my guess yeah (laughs) yeah um as i said like it's difficult if you're not going to clubs and you're not playing sets it's difficult to get inspired and if you're not playing sets it's difficult to know how songs work like how people react to them the bits where it feels like the energy's died out like all of that you don't have any perspective on and so yeah like writing and finishing six tunes more than i've ever done on any project while i can't have any perspective on it i would say personally is is hmm. the biggest achievement um that i've had this year yeah yeah no for sure um last question here from from chris uh what's your favorite instrument uh or i guess we can extend it to like favorite sound or plugin that you like to use in your in your productions um my so if i was to go plug in then probably trash too mm-hmm. um if i was to go like instrument slash uh synth or whatever then i've got a moog subsequent 37 in the studio mm-hmm. um which i've had now for probably about 18 months and there's something about like having a synth that physically reacts to what i'm doing like if i turn a dial or i'm not clicking on a screen or whatever like physically turning it you're more engaged with the sound you're making Mm. i'm not thinking okay my filter needs to be at 700 hertz and this needs to be here or whatever you're just twisting it till it sounds good and there's something you know besides the fact that it it has its own characteristic sound there's something about properly crafting it yourself that's just way more fun than than anything else um so yeah definitely that is there any of it on the on window light um i would say yes but i wouldn't be able to tell you i think one i think the pluck is layered with it okay um to be honest a lot of it is like reese sounds a lot of like my reese bits that sit over the sub come from that but i don't know if the ones in window light did i think they were just serum but it's definitely (laughs) dotted throughout the ep with yeah, stuff like yeah. this and a lot of like arps and things like that i do off there as well yeah yeah even if like people don't notice it i think it's it's always a nice touch and it brings a, a bit of authenticity and uh organ organic feeling if you're yeah using and as i said to be honest it's also just more fun like yeah um i think i think for me that's the main thing like it, it does have its own sound 
Like if I was to play like a plain saw wave on there versus serum, like I'd be able to tell because it just sounds bigger. Mm-hmm. But ultimately for me, like all of that aside, it's just physically being able to craft it rather than clicking on a screen. Because I think when you're clicking on uh, digital VSTs and stuff as well, you tend to kind of know. I find it difficult to mess around with serum. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, I kind yeah. of go in and I'm like, okay, and I have a process for dealing with it and how I like make certain sounds and stuff. And I feel like if you're outside of the box, it's harder to do that because you've not got specific values and stuff that you're mm-hmm. you're going for. Um, and you know you can like twist one thing or knock something by accident, yeah, and it will change the way that it sounds. Yeah, so. yeah, for sure. Um, actually, last question that just came in, and it's gonna tie nicely to the closing of this episode. But uh, R two asks, uh, going forward, what are your like main goals and aspirations now as a as an artist, but maybe also as a just as a person. Um, I'd like, as I said before, I would like at some point to do an album. I don't know if I necessarily want to do it right now, but I'd love to put out like ten to twelve tunes that all make sense as an album. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, something that isn't all drum and bass, but certainly like sounds and feels like a tonomic body of work. Um, aspirations and stuff like it's difficult because Tolomic's gone further than I thought it would like as I said a while ago like I started it just because I wanted to make music for fun and didn't want to make music mm-hmm. for work Um, and so it's already gone way further so when I try and think about like where do I want to go in the next few years it kind of feels a bit pointless because I have no idea basically mm. like i'll always keep pushing and i'll always keep writing music and and you know speaking to the label about about what is next and all the rest of it but i don't necessarily have any idea where it's going mm. i just want to always get better it's like i said like always trying to improve and always trying to push to be to make better music mm. um as for any end goal no idea no yeah. idea i think that's a uh a great note to to leave it on uh i still had probably 30 questions on my work document <laughs> here that i wanted to chat to you about and and tracks that uh that really inspired me uh personally but uh, i think we're gonna leave it at that for for now uh maybe you can come on uh your next ep on liquidity or your album and i can ask you those <laughs> other questions we'll I have. Again. Yeah, yeah, man. but uh yeah it's been a real pleasure talking to you uh Thanks a lot for for coming on and and giving me some of your time. Uh, Thanks Thanks for having me. Let's let our listeners know what's upcoming for you now. What can you maybe disclose in terms of tracks, collaborations you have upcoming and where can people reach out to you? Um, Let me have a think. So I'm sending off a bunch of tunes at the moment. So hopefully there should be some bits out in the next couple of months. Um, There's going to be other stuff on Liquidity. We've not sorted out necessarily the logistics of that but there will be more releases on Liquidity next year. Um, yeah, so I, I suppose your best bet is is keep an eye on my socials and on Liquidity and, and we'll see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, again, Elliot, thanks a lot for your time and all the best for your upcoming projects. Thanks, man. Thank Cheers. You. Thank you.